on today's Story Beat. I think that watching a movie, if you have a good story, we can forgive not perfect cinematography, grainy. We can forgive that because we're involved in the story. Bad acting, we cannot forgive. Mm -hmm. Do not hire your friends unless they are actors. Or hold auditions. Make sure that they... That is... I cannot tell you how many projects. It's been like a great story. It's shot beautifully. The sound is great. The editing's great. And the acting sucks. It pulls you right out. This is Story Beat with Steve Cuton, a podcast for the creative mind. Story Beat explores how masters of creativity develop and produce brilliant works that people everywhere love and admire. So join us as we discover how talented creators find success in the worlds of imagination and entertainment. Here now is your host, Steve Cuton. Thanks for joining us on Story Beat. We're coming to you from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My guest today, Denise Gossett, has been an actress in television and feature films for over 20 years. Denise can be seen in the feature films I Saw the Light, starring Tom Hiddleston, Get the Gringo, starring Mel Gibson, and the Morris Chestnut feature, When the Bow Breaks. Most recently, Denise worked on the romance feature Gabriel's Rapture, the thriller Nine Windows, and a Hallmark movie, Baked with a Kiss. In addition to her acting career, in 2001, Denise founded the extremely popular Shriekfest Film Festival in Los Angeles. Shriekfest is now in its 22nd year. For the record, a movie that I directed and co-produced, Lucky, won the awards for Best Feature and Fan Favorite at the 2003 edition of Shriekfest. So for all those reasons and many more, I'm thrilled to welcome my friend, the force of nature better known as Denise Gossett, to Story Beat today. Denise, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. This is great. Oh, it's a delight for me to have you on the show. We've known one another for almost 20 years now. So I know, right? <laughs> and and Lucky, I gotta honestly say, is still one of my favorite movies that has ever played Shriekfest. Oh, aren't you kind? <laughs> well, it's no, sort I'm of it's, the truth. it's still out there. <laughs> it's still out there, but you know, it's kind of faded away a little bit. Um, but I'm glad you still like it. You know, even though it's been a while, I'm sure if any horror fans saw it now, they would still like it and enjoy it because it's just well made, well acted. It, it's it is what it is. <laughs> it's a funny little movie. And yes, I'm so glad that you had it in, in, in Shriekfest and that we um, wound up winning the thing, which was fantastic. Yes. So, yes. all right, let's go back in time for you and go back in a little bit of your history. You've been at the acting game. We'll talk about Shriekfest in a little bit, but let's talk mm -hmm. about acting, which is what your <laughs> primary focus is these days. Um, and you've been at it for a while. At what age were you when the bug first bit you, when you thought, wow, I'd really like to perform for people or do lines? Well, you know, it's funny because like I was one of those kids my whole life that said, I'm going to dance, act or sing, but I never really did anything about it. Like I would do little plays at school or something like that. It wasn't until my senior year in high school that I started taking an acting class and then got talked into auditioning for the plays. And then I did the plays and really was loving it. And then the colleges were coming around auditioning people for scholarships. And I thought I was so green. I'm like, okay, let's try this, right? right? Like, I remember them saying, you need a monologue. And I was one of those dopey actors who got one of those monologues where, like, no one is talking back to you, but you're reacting to them. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was green. Anyway, I ended up getting partial scholarship with the opportunity to audition again at the end of the semester. And I ended up getting almost all four years covered. Mm. Um, yes, it was it was amazing because I had learned so much that first semester. Right. Um, but yeah, so I always say like naivete will take you far because what you don't know can't stop you. Right. Ooh. You'll just keep going. What a good line for many acting is sort of like a calling to them. Do you think of it as a calling for you? Or is it just something? Absolutely. You oh, it is. a calling. No, absolutely. I have to do it. Have to do it. It's a, it's something you can't help yourself. You must. Can't, nope, can't help. And so, and then when I started in college, I was consistently doing plays there and then got headshots, got an agent in Florida 
and started auditioning. And I, I remember I was doing like industrial films for like Olive Garden. And I remember you'd go at like <laughs> three in the morning when the restaurants close and you'd shoot your little training films and you'd eat free breadsticks. And I was like, this is so awesome. <laughs> and then- um, Well, and then that's it, gonna be the name of your, your autobiography, Breadsticks at three in the morning. Right. <laughs> Naivete will take you far because what you can't, what you don't know can't stop you. Gotcha. So, so where did you then get your training in school? Was that your training ground in school and on set? And um, then after college, of course, you know, I did different acting teachers here and there messing around. But you know, what's interesting, Steve, is that, and I don't think every actor is this way, but I'm this way. So here I was, after I moved to LA and I'm doing all these different acting classes, like I was literally trying everything. And honest to God, when I got there, I, I wrote down every acting class I could find. And I went and audited hmm, probably 70 different classes. Wow. And I ended up liking one. So then I stayed in that class for a while, but I noticed the fact that I kept going to acting class, you know, your teacher is going to always give you notes, right? Because right. that's their job. Yes. Well, I would take it as, oh my gosh, if I can't do this right in class, how am I going to do it right out there? So it was killing my confidence. And the minute I decided to take an experiment and not go to acting class, I started booking. It was really weird. Hmm. I knew I was good, but acting class kept telling me I wasn't. <laughs> so it was messing me up. And I don't know if that's happened for other people or not, but... So are you saying you don't recommend acting classes? Not for me. <laughs> not not for you. I, not I, for you me. know, it's like anything else in life. It, it's it, If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And, it, and yes. for some people, it will work extremely well. Exactly. And, and for some people, it just doesn't. And in your case, it didn't. Exactly. So who then did you look up to? Who were your artistic heroes? Who did you want to be like or to have a career like? You know, that's what else is weird about me. There was no one where I was like, oh, her, her, her. I've got to be her. I've got to go down that same path. I was just like my own path. It was weird because I'll read actor interviews and they'll always say, well, I looked up to so-and-so and so-and-so. I, I never was like that. I might admire someone's work. But I never once thought that's the path. I, that's the path for me. It was always, no, I've got my own path here. So I don't you, know. You knew that early on that you were on your own trail. I did. And, you know, I was a punk in high school. Maybe that had something to do with it. Well, well, describe what you mean by punk. What does that mean? Uh, punk rocker, like listen to. Or punk, punk rock music. chick, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe, maybe just out of that, I became like, I'm my own person and I don't need anything else. I don't know. I don't know, but well, I've kind of always been that way. That's interesting. So you, you dance to the beat of your own drum is what you're basically yep. saying. Um, yep. How long were you at it before you thought to yourself, you know what? I really am good at this. This is something I really should be doing. Not something I want to do and aspire to, but I actually do get this. I understand what I'm doing. I started to have glimpses of that in college when I would do plays. And, you know, when I'd have like my parents come see me or something and they would actually tell me I was good. I never once thought they're lying. They're saying that because they're my parents. I actually looked at it as if they think I'm good, then others must hmm. because like it was something I wanted to live up to for them, so to speak. And then when I moved to LA and I started out doing a lot of theater in LA and I was getting cast too, I knew, okay, there's something here. I must not suck. I must be okay. And then through the years, you just naturally get better at all of it because you're more comfortable. You learn little tidbits here and there. Well, sure. The more you do something of anything, the better you get. I imagine you're yep. better today at running a festival than you were back in the early 2000s. So oh, all, yes. all those things are, are part and parcel of just doing it, which is true for writing, for directing, for acting, for all of it. Um, and so you had a sense of self-confidence early on. It wasn't a, a lack of confidence. It was you just didn't know whether you were going to get hired or not early on. Right, right. And, you know, maybe it had something to do with um, my parents grew up poor and they I never heard them talk negatively. It was always like you could do whatever you want, Denise. They they never were against any dream, never tried to talk down a dream. Although my dad did try to t 
talk me out of moving to LA, which I can understand because <laughs> you don't want your kid moving to LA. But, and he always had tapes um, laying around the house, like Zig Ziglar and, uh, you know, all these like positive thinking people. And I used to just grab onto those and listen to those all the time. I love those. Inspirational so maybe stuff. It has, yes, yes. I, and man, I just dove into those when I was in high school and college. Well, I, you know, that's a very uh, valuable thing to say is for people that are thinking, can I do this or not? Having some positive, positive spin to what you're doing, understanding that this is a, it's a craft, it's a job, you're, you have to work at it, all those things. So you have, positivity is a very positive thing, um, which right. is kind of a dual purpose of the word positive. But yeah, that's a very positive thing. Um, do you think that that has then held you in good stead as an actress where you clearly over time you have you will have gone off onto any number of audition scenarios i imagine you've auditioned a lot and i imagine that the overwhelming majority of auditions you don't get cast which is typical for the business right and so what is your philosophy toward auditioning how do you look toward auditioning you know um when i was younger and starting out you'd you'd take every audition with you like you know, you'd get in the car and you look in the mirror and you're like, why didn't I do this? And why didn't I do that sort of thing? And you'd live with that audition for, you know, a week, two weeks and, until you realize, OK, I didn't get the part or you did get the part. As I've been in the business longer, like <laughs> I don't I honestly, this is so I can't even re remember what I auditioned for. So I do my audition because now everything's on tape. So I tape my audition and I move on. And when I book something, I have to go, oh, my God, what was that? I have to look back through my notes and go, oh, it was that one, because I honestly <laughs> cannot remember. I have actor friends go, well, who is the cast writer? I'm like, I can't tell you. I got to look it up in my notes. Do you think that's, because you, Do you think that's because you didn't get in your car and drive somewhere and they might have had any number of experiences on the way that you're doing it from your home? No, because when I first uh, started taping auditions years ago. I'd think about it. Why didn't I get that one? Why haven't I heard yet? You know, all that stuff. Now, I don't know if it's just because I'm busy because I'm a mom and festival director and homeschooling and everything else. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I just, I do it and I move on. It's like, it's done. There's you, finality to it. Would you say there's a, a per, it's a percentage game. If you audition, let's say 50 times, you're going to get cast x once twice three times something like that is it a numbers game well you know it's interesting because in a way yes but it has more to do with skill and comfortableness than actual like if i audition 50 times i'm going to book something you can't like in the beginning i would keep track and i might audition 30 40 times before i book something and then i got it down to these are in-person auditions i got it down to every 12 auditions i would book that's pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. Then when everything started switching to tape, it became I'd book one out of 50 or 60. And mm -hmm. that was depressing because think about it on tape. You're going with your gut. They can't redirect you. You can't charm them. You're not in the room. So now that I've been taping for, I don't know, six, seven years, I have learned different ways to handle a tape to kind of show them a little bit of your personality. And sometimes I'll just throw in an extra take so that they can see I can do it both ways. But I can't tell you how many times I would audition in person and they'd go, oh, I like that. Can you try it this way? And then I'd change it and I would book it. It's very difficult for anyone to make a personal connection to anyone on a tape as yep. opposed to even doing a Zoom or even on phone. You could, have, you could talk to someone and hear a personality issue. But right. You, but when you're on, when you're, when you're making the tape yourself and sending it off, there's no way for you to connect with someone on the other end. No, it's super hard. It, yeah. And it's probably hard for them too, to get a handle on who you are. Right. You now know? the pluses of it, last week I auditioned for something that shot in LA, one in Minnesota, one in Atlanta, one in Chicago. So that would not have been possible right. without taping. Right. Well, that's changed the, everything in all kinds of businesses. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so, all right, let's talk about performance. When okay. you book a gig, 
um, and you begin to work on a role, aside from the reading of the script, which is obvious, what is your approach? How do you develop a character? What are you looking for? What are you doing as you start to develop what you're going to do before the camera? Well, obviously, first I read it. Um, and I don't just look at my lines. I look at what are other characters saying about my character? Who are these other people? How do they know me? Um, each scene is different. Like in this particular scene, are where are we? Are we on my turf or someone else's turf? Because mm -hmm. there will be a different way. If you're in your own living room versus someone else's living room, you're going to behave slightly differently. Are you on the phone within the scene? Because on the phone, you can make faces to whatever reaction you're having with this person that you wouldn't be able to do if they were in person. Right. So there's all these little tiny things you can look at as an actor. Um, I break it down. I break down the name. I like to analyze a name and what the name means, whether the screenwriter meant anything by naming that person that name or not. It still feeds me as an actor. Um, you know, I go into, you know, why am I here? Where are we? What's my motive? All that typical stuff. But I like to really delve into more of who this person is and what do I have in common with her and what don't I have in common with her? And if she's a bad person, what can I make likable? It's interesting you say it. It's interesting yeah. you say it that way. A lot of actors I've talked to won't judge a character that way, but you judged a character. You judge your characters, yes? Um, and I mean, like you mean, like so are you, you said a bad she's, person? Good yeah, person? are you a bad person or a good person? Most, I shouldn't say most, but I've talked to any number of actors who will say, um, I have to find a way to believe that that character is doing what they think is right. Oh, sure. Absolutely. But me, Denise, as the initial reads, yeah, I can easily say this person is bad. This is an evil person. Then you have to find the ways of how can we like this person? Why does this person think whatever they're doing is the right thing to do? So yes, I do both, but you, you inevitably cannot help your personal reaction to a character. Mm -hmm at first. Mm -hmm. and, and what would you say is the most challenging aspect of creating a character? Is that it? Is trying to figure out who that character is and whether you have commonalities with them or not? Is that the most challenging part? Sometimes. Sometimes it's the lines, quite honestly. Like if, it, if it's a really difficult or poorly written script, mm -hmm. sometimes it's the lines themselves that can give you the hard time. Honestly, I... I don't really ever have too much of a hard time. I just love it too much. But you're you're actually saying, which is of course true, that not all scripts are well written, and somehow right. they, somebody's managed to get raise money to shoot them anyway, um, right. and out into the world they go. And right. uh, I know that you've seen plenty of movies in your time that are you know not that great. Also, as an actor, you can't afford often to be that picky. You're not, if you're not a superstar, and there are very right. few of those, you can't always be afford to be picky about whether you're going to take the part or not. Have you been in situations where you were offered a role and you were a little doubtful about whether you should take it or not? Oh, heck yeah. Years ago, and I am picky now. I am more picky since I became a mom than ever. Like mm. I never would do nudity and crazy things like that, but I'm very picky. But years ago, I went to this commercial audition and the director was a jerk. He was just a jerk. And I, you know, and the way he would talk to the actors and he had a group of us in a scene, just the way he was, I was like, I do not like this guy. And sure enough, I book it <laughs> and I turned it down You turned and it was going to pay a lot of money, but I was like, I'm not working with this jerk. And I assume you were represented at the time. Yep. What did your representation have to say about that? I told her the truth and she was like, I stand with you. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Because that obviously you weren't just losing the money, but your agent was losing money too. Exactly. Yeah. It was tough. And, you know, I, I sat on it a little while once I found out I booked it. And I was like, I can't do it. I cannot work with that guy because he liked me and was still weird. Mm. And I just, I, I don't need that. So do you work as hard today at breaking down a script as you did when you first started? Is it the same process you go through to take the, take the script and break it down so you can memorize it? 
Yes, it's basically the same. I mean, it's tweaked a little bit here and there. It's quicker because like you, we were talking earlier, anything you do over and over and over again becomes easier. But yeah, basically you, the same. You've and, gotten you know, better you, at memorizing. Yes. Well, yes. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the older you get, your brain doesn't want to memorize certain things. Well, that I understand every day. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a technique or a trick that helps you memorize things? Um, yes, movement. What and I mean? discovered this about, gosh, when I first moved to LA, I met with some agent. <laughs> what a jerk looking back on this. He, over uh, Christmas holiday, I was coming to Florida to stay with family. And he wanted me to tape, this was years ago, tape 20 auditions, okay? Um, <laughs> 20 monologues, I'm sorry, 20 monologues just for him to look at and decide if he wanted to sign me. And I did it. And I kept thinking, how the heck am I going to met? So I got on my parents' treadmill. And so as you're, cause when you're moving, it does different things with the brain and you're, mm. it's easier to memorize. So often I will go for a walk and have it on tape or something in my ear through my phone and listen while I walk. It's easier to memorize that way. I've also noticed when I get auditions, and if this audition is just something I feel like I'm kind of struggling with, no matter how well I perform it, that role is not for me. It's the ones that come where I'm like, I click instantaneously that I know I'm going to book it because it just feels right for me. It's, a, chemi weird? it's a chemical thing. What do In you other mean? Words, well, it's chemistry between you and the material and the people yep. you're dealing with. Or, or it's just so it's meant to be my role. So like the memorizing comes easy, the prep comes easy. It's really weird. And I never noticed that when I was younger, but I really notice it now. So there's a, there's a connection that happens between you and whatever it is you're working on. Like my life was already written out. This is a role I'm supposed to do. And so when it finally came to me, it felt right. And here it is. I wow. know that sounds bizarre, but that's what it feels like. Uh, I don't think it sounds bizarre. I think that's exactly the way it's supposed to work. It, it's there is, um, as you well know, you can get into you can show a movie to five different audiences, the same movie and get five different reactions. And that's just a chemical process between all the people watching it and what they're watching and whatever that right. synthesis is between that group of people at that time. So yeah. I, th I think you're talking about the same thing. Um, what do you do to regularly develop your acting chops, if anything? I like to read out loud. For years, I would read to my daughter. She, We'd take turns reading like Harry Potter. We read all the Harry Potter books when she was like eight or something. And we would take turns reading pages and the characters. Um, I think reading out loud just kind of keeps everything. Up. But honestly... I auditioned a lot. I took two and a half years off during COVID stuff because I just didn't want to take something I loved and add testing and a mask and all, you know, all the stuff. I just didn't want to take something I loved and now water it down with stuff. So I took two and a half years off and I'm back auditioning now with a vengeance. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, I mean, I, I, when I audition, I audition a lot. So, you know, maybe five plus times a week. Mm. So that kind of keeps me going because it's always a different character. What's the most difficult thing for you as an actor? What what do you find to be the thing you are constantly having to overcome? Trying to get indoors, I guess. Just making sure I can get in. Like if there's certain casting directors I want to get in with, how can I go about to get in those doors if they're not calling me in through my agent? So, so I think that's every actor's struggle, really. And so it's nothing to do with the, the, the working on a part that you have. It is the getting to the part. That's the difficulty. Yes. Which is of course, yes. you're, you're right. That's the struggle that most every actor in the professional world goes through. Right. And no, no question about it. Want to talk to you for a moment about directors you've worked with. We've already heard you say a couple of things about directors where you've had one, you know, negative experience, but uh, what would you say are the most important lessons that you can think of that you've taken away from your favorite directors? What ha have any of them said anything to you that you've taken away and been able to use throughout your career? I've had some, you know, just give you that permission, so to speak, to 
take your time with something. Because often when you are a day player, for instance, you're there to move the story along. The movie's not about you. You're not there to, you know, take your sweet time saying whatever it may be. You're there to move the story along. So when I've had bigger roles and I've had directors say, you know, feel free to take your time with this. That is such a great feeling because you're so used to being a day player and you just got to get this info out. It's not about me. It's about them. It's about them, you know, and so many actors forget that this little part is not about you. Well, not not unless you are the star of the movie or or right. a, ma- a major exactly. co-star of some kind. Yeah, exactly. It it, it it's uh, that is a challenge, I assume, for especially young first time, second time actors, where they think, oh, it's all it's good. I've got to do this, so it's all about me. They're looking at me, but they're right. they're not. You're just part of the 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 whole. You're a cog in a wheel, basically. Right. Yeah. Like you know, what can I get you to drink? Instead of, so what can I get you to drink? You know, they want to make something so big out of it. This movie is, that part is not about the movie. <laughs> you're just moving the story along. So is there anything you do now when you're working with directors that you do differently than when you first started? Is there any way you approach them? I probably approach them the same way, except, you know, in the beginning, I was maybe more like looking for feedback, like, you know, trying to pull pull feedback out of them. Because I mean, honestly, (laughs) a lot of directors don't really direct. They cast you because they know you can play the role and you get to set and they're just like, good, we got it. You know, so and actors, as you know, need that feedback. That was great. Yes, that was great. So I've gotten to the point where I can work without the feedback if needed. Is it true for you that uh, you frequently are doing parts where there's little or no rehearsal and you walk on needing to know exactly what you're doing and then they might just put you where you need to stand or sit or whatever it is, but that you're not getting a ton of rehearsal. Is that true? Oh yeah. There's no rehearsals. Even when I have bigger roles, there's very few rehearsals Mm -hmm. um, unless it's like for blocking for the camera. And then as an actor, you take full advantage of that time to, you know, get to know your players. But yeah, there's very, very little time for rehearsal. So you need to come in good to go, ready to hit, oh, the, yes. hit it 100%. and go. Oh, 100%. And you're just nowadays, where your marks are. Right. And nowadays they want you memorized for auditions even. Memorized for auditions, off book, no sides. That's and you amazing. know what's interesting about that is SAG just passed something saying no one is allowed to require that of you unless they pay you. Mm. But it's been going on for years. Well, sure it has. Um, no doubt it has where they, well, in the history of Hollywood um, and and in movie making in general, actors have always been taken advantage of. Um, For instance, what- the other the other day I had an audition, it was via Zoom. And so we read the scene. They said they loved it. Out of the blue, one of the producers goes, can you sing? And I was like, because the role didn't say anything about singing. And I go, I, yeah, I can. And he's like, can we hear a song? so I sang a song but in my head I'm thinking what am I like a pony at a circus (laughs) jump here now do this now you know it was like it was just kind of weird to me but I guess that's the name of the game I mean I was able to flow with it and it all went great but my daughter was in the other room and she comes out afterwards she goes did they ask you sing I go (laughs) (laughs) are you are you do you think of yourself as being prepared for those things no matter what that you've got a song in the back of your head at all times it just popped there and so I went with it but yes I feel like I'm to the point where if you throw me I'm going to tell you you're throwing me like uh, like I'm that comfortable I guess so you get you're you've already said you get sometimes little or nothing from a director even though you might crave it is that what you think uh, is missing from the process is that you're just not as actors unfairly as it may be, you're just not getting any real directorial um, notes or feedback, or is that just the game? Unfortunately, I think it's the game. And mm-hmm. what's funny is then you'll hear people compliment those directors and tell them how amazing they are. And it's so funny. Cause in your head, you're like, okay, they didn't direct at all. They just, <laughs> Now, maybe their directing job is finished in the casting. Maybe because they chose me, he knew she can handle it. We're good. Well, there's a lot. There are a lot of famous 
very successful directors who it's all about the casting. They don't, once the actors walk on the set, that's it. They, they don't direct them at all. Woody Allen's famous for having done that, you know, not to bring up somebody who's controversial. Clint Eastwood doesn't really direct actors very much. So there are some very successful famous directors who have gone through that. Um, Have you ever received a note from a director or maybe from a fellow actor and you totally disagreed with it and it threw you and has that ever happened to you? Maybe a long time ago. Gosh, I would hope other actors wouldn't give you a note because that's just bad news. But I do know that that happens. Mm -hmm. I'm, okay. And I'm not sure how I would handle that, actually. I'd probably be like, oh, okay, yeah, and just do my own thing. <laughs> so sets are notoriously distracting places. They're full of noise and action and people moving around and people yelling and screaming. And then you get to a, you're about to sh- take a shot and somebody's going to slap a, cl- a clapboard in your face. So they're, they're notoriously distracting places. Do you have any particular techniques for eliminating those distractions? How do you put the blinders on and do your job? What do you have any special way to handle that? Yes. The only, the only thing that works, Steve, is to be ultra prepared mm. because like I always say, if I'm memorizing lines, I have to know them forwards, backwards, everything, because when you get nervous and you will get nervous because all these people are around you, you're going to forget your lines. And that is the only way is ultra prepared. And the other day I was talking to a friend who was not in the industry and she was asking how it must be so cool to be on these sets and stuff. And I said, it is, but think about this for a second. Imagine if every time you went to work, you were with completely different people that you'd never worked with before. She was like, whoa. I said, that's what it is. If you're lucky, you might have like, oh, oh, there's a PA I've seen before on a set, you know, but it's always completely different people. And that in itself kind of blows people's minds. Can you imagine going to the office every day and it's, it's all new people I got to work with, (laughs) right? Yeah. So you're having to learn a whole new set of the way people operate. Yep. And they have to learn how you operate. Yes. So, okay. So what is your philosophy toward that? What do you, how do you handle it? Are you just totally chill about it or do you have a way of thinking about it? Um, Try to be totally chill, but also very, very professional. I come in all smiles. I try to introduce myself to everyone, including crew, just to, cause I mean, they're the ones going to make me look good. Right. And why not everybody have a nice smile on our face while we're working. And so that's kind of how I approach it is just be kind, do your job and then get out. So have, you know, famously actors talk about being in the moment, the more in the moment, the better. Uh, do you, have you been in circumstances where the moment was very challenging to get into that you're being, you're being, thrown by this, that, or the other thing? I've been in some of those challenging places, but you kind of have to figure out. I remember I did this one film called My Florida Home, and it was extremely emotional. And one of the props was a little weird little tchotchke thing that said best mom or something. Mm -hmm. And the movie was about my relationship with my mother, and it was not a good one. And I remember every time they would yell cut, I'd go back to one and I would look at that prop and that immediately would get me into it because she wasn't the best mom, but I wanted her to be the best mom. And so that little prop, I imagine I had given to her as a kid. So like I created this whole story over this little prop that was a decoration. It's helpful to have touchstones like that. Yes. 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 Do you do you seek those in every time you go to a set or is it just sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't? Sometimes it happens and it doesn't. And and so it's not something you set out to find. No. No. OK. Kind of uh, accidental. It's an accidental find. And probably it's a glorious thing for you when it does happen. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because that just looking at that, I could immediately get the tears ready to go. Like it so, was weird. And, and you, you talked about you work with a new set of people on a daily basis. You're constantly seeing different people, which I think would probably be different if, say, for instance, you were a regular on a soap opera. Yes, because then you get to know all those people over sure. and over. Yes. Or if you're on a movie for three months or something like that. Yes. But if you're a day player, yeah, you're coming in and meeting all brand new people every day. Right. 
how important is it for you to have the good attitude you're talking about coming in all smiles and how difficult is it if you walk onto a set and there's tension and people aren't smiling what how do you over how do you deal with that or overcome it i still go in with the same i'm a professional i'm mm -hmm. going to smile and be kind to everyone and then like okay let's say i get in the makeup chair and you can tell something is tense on set because it trickles down to everyone of course it does I'll kind of get them talking a little bit and every once in a while they might go, you're not going to believe what's happening on set. And then they'll fill me in. Um, or I'll just be laughing and joking with them, get that whole mood changed. And okay. So now that whole trailer is doing better. Now I go over to costumes, do the same thing. You can slightly, at least they'll be happy when they see me because I'm going to just bring that good energy. Sometimes it's easier to be on set and to handle a bad mood if all of a sudden, oh, here comes a, you know, someone who's smiley and happy. Do, do you feel like you have that? I, I assume you do. You have the ability to sort of to bring your energy and change things. Yes. 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 And I, I hope that doesn't come across as conceited, but maybe it's like I worked at Costco. I worked in re retail, you know, different things like that. So, you know, customers always right. So you just want to be. Happy, well, happy. Well, more importantly, because now we're going to shift gears a little bit. More importantly, you have brought that for years now to this famous film festival called Shriekfest. Yes. And you, when you first started that festival, you had nothing, right? You had, didn't have right. a festival. So what prompted you in, in this whole thing to start not just a film festival, but wait a minute, a horror film festival. What prompted <laughs> that from you, Denise? You don't look anything like a person that would be deeply into horror movies. Where did that come from? Well, you know, it's so funny because I had starred in a horror film and it was, you know, a cheesy, but I starred in it. Like, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Um, this needs to go to film festivals. And I had talked to the producer and the director, Naivete, right? And I had said, oh my gosh, can, can we submit this to festivals? And they're like, there's no festivals that cater to horror. And I was like, what? I love horror. How is this possible? And so I came up with the idea. I'm like a horror film festival. That would be so cool. I tell my sister-in-law and she's like, sure, let's do it. So like I immediately jumped right in and started I didn't know what I was doing. There's the naivete will take you far because yes. what you don't know can't stop you. Um, nothing was stopping me. I didn't know what I was doing. I found someone who could do a website. We we put up notices. I started linking to other horror sites and started getting submissions. And it was like, okay, what do we do now? Like I really knew nothing. And but it was fun. And quite honestly, I thought it was going to be almost like having a Halloween party every year. Like, it's going to be fun. It's going to be, you know, just something small. <laughs> and then after the first year, we got 45 submissions because I'm not lying. I came up with the idea in the beginning of August and put that sucker together by early October. It was wow. insane. Wow. Right? Wow. Who does that? Yeah, so we got wow. 45 submissions, which is pretty impressive for that quickly. And um, then the next year, I was blown away by all the submissions. I was like, oh, no, what have I done now? This is like a work. It's a job. And this is no Halloween party. <laughs> and, but then it also told me it was desperately needed. Like these people I was, were, was meeting so desperately needed a place to show their stuff and feel validated and and it became like oh my gosh i'm lifting people up this is amazing i love this because i've always been i like to help actors or anybody creative who needs help if i can send them in the right direction i love to do that but this there were many years i would say maybe after the fourth year honestly steve every year i would go i am not doing this again i am not doing this again. <laughs> Cause, and cause, then I'd get talked back into it or like we'd have the closing party and I'd be like, oh, this has been so fun. And then next thing you know, I'm doing it again. <laughs> it's like every year. It's in this. Now, I've never worked a festival, but I've certainly been to a few. Uh, and it, they there's no question. They look like they take an enormous amount of work. Right. When it first started out, it would be like four or five months of intense work, right? Intense. Yeah, yeah. And then the longer it was, it became like nine months of intense work. And then it became full year round. And I was like, 
Oh my gosh. I found myself turning down acting work because it was going to be the same time as Shriek Fest. Sure. I found myself not even auditioning for things that were going to shoot around the time of Shriek Fest or during my busy months of you know July and August and September. And then I was like, what are you doing? Your love is acting. What are you doing? And so that's where it's become really difficult. And then when COVID happened and we were forced to not do a festival that year, it really made me sit back and kind of look at things. And then we finally got to do that festival. It was amazing. It was fun to see everyone again and it felt great. But then after that is when I said, I'm taking a year off to pursue my acting and my acting alone. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's mostly a thankless job, I assume, that you get thanked at some point, but it's mostly a thankless job. Right. And you're having to what, what, give us a, a sense of what a year in the life of a festival is, where you take, you put out a call for submissions, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. suddenly movies start showing up in one way, shape or form. Back in the day, when you first started, you were getting, were you was it still VHS? VHS. Tapes? Yep, VHS. VHS tapes, and then eventually became DVDs. And now yep. I assume that your submissions are online. Yes. Yes. And wow, what a help! Because I used to have judges showing up at my doorstep to pick up VHS tapes, and they'd have to get them back to me in a timely manner so that I could get them on to next judges. Now wow. it's like, okay, let me assign this one, and let me assign this one, and they're all out. And it's and so 10 judges can look at the same movie today at, at the same time, basically. Yeah. It, yep. Now, it is hard to get judges to do what they agreed to do. That is hard. <laughs> so that's why I always have like 40 judges, because if a few of them flake, I'm still covered. Right. Um. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's planning the opening night party. It's the schedule, I mean, just picking the film, for instance, the last year we had over 300 short films in the yes pile. Wow. And we can only take about 50 some. So, so how do you pick? Yep. It's tough. It's so tough. And it's great that we get that many great submissions now, but it doesn't make it hard for sure. And same with the features. I mean, if you're a feature, it's, it's really got to be great because there's only so many slots. But, you know, it's it's the writing the rejection letters, which I used to just cry and cry as I would write these. Oh. Seriously. And then you'd have some jerk write something horrible back. I mean, I was even threatened a few times, like, I will find you. Really? And I'm like, oh my God, it's a film, dude. <laughs> it's not your baby. Wow, um, wow. And, but then... The, mo- the longer we'd been around, I would say probably after the third year, no one was mean anymore because we had built a reputation. So people knew I'm not going to burn that bridge. Um, every once in a while, I'll still have someone go, I don't understand. My friends, my film's way better than all those. Other- I'm like, here's a free pass. Come take a look. If you feel the same way afterwards, come talk to me. And then they'll come and they're like, oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. Well, so, but, so what, 2003, which is lucky, what was that one, two or three? That was the third year, right? That was the third one. And, and I can tell you, and we, we won't mention any names, but there was a, there was a film there that was upset that they didn't win. I remember that distinctly. And, and they were like furious about it. And it was like, what's the deal? You, you know, you clearly had a bunch of judges. Isn't that the way it works? There's a bunch of people that have eyes on whatever right. it is. And I'm right. delighted that we won, but it wasn't like it was set up that way. It right. was, it was uh, selected by random judges. It's so weird people. And, and, so, and, and it's often the films that need the most work that think their film is the best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I am to me, if you make a film, you're a winner. Cause we both know how hard it is to make a film. Very. But people just need to not be so precious with their work. I mean, my gosh, I'm rejected every day of my life all day long. And somehow I still pull up my bootstraps and keep going. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just wish that everyone would kind of get 
to that point because it really doesn't mean anything. Now, sometimes your film does need some work. I, and I'll be honest, through the years, there's been films that have come in that are like shot great, great story, great acting, but they're not going to make the cut because they're two hours long. And I'll be honest, there's been times I've called people up and said, look, your film is not going to get in unless you're willing to cut this down. And I've had some be like, no way, you don't know what you're talking about. And then I've had some say, okay, and they recut it. We all rewatch it and it gets in. It's sometimes a lot better that way. Exactly. It's always better. And people go, oh my God, I'm so glad I listened to you because now we got a distributor out of it. And there's been people we've rejected in the past and they'll beg me for notes. And I'll say, in all honesty, you need to recut this. And they're like, what? I said, yeah. And they'll come back to me like a year later and go, you were right. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. Or they'll ask me, why am I not getting in film festivals? And, you know, I'll tell them if I can, if they're not going to hunt me down. So, so the reason for the two hour issue, just for the listeners that don't understand, that's because you only have so much time to program the festival and you need shorter features in order to fit everything in. Am I correct? We can fit it in. For instance, we have shown a two-hour movie before, but it was phenomenal. So if the if the film is good but not great, and if you cut out 15 minutes and it's going to make it great, then that's the difference. Um, I'm really big on that. If it is not moving your story forward, cut it out. I don't care if you spend a week shooting it and it costs tons of money to have that location, cut it out. I don't care if the the actor is your sister and you don't want to cut her work out, cut it out. Well, as an actor, when I see a film, uh, I saw one not too long ago and I saw it and I'm watching it going, they need to cut this baby down. And it's my work, mm-hmm. but it just didn't flow right. And when he finally cut it down, it was like, aha, there it is. Well, it so- was it was William Faulkner who said, who said, you have to be willing to kill your darlings. He was talking about you've got to trim the fat out of it yes, and you've got to make it flow and work and have intensity to it or it's not going anywhere. It's so true. Same with script writing, as you know, there's so much fluff that my biggest note I give people is flesh it out. Keep fleshing, just get it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What what are the what are the biggest challenges to running a festival? Is it is it, in fact, all that overwhelming material? Is that what is the hardest part of it or is it that that is hard? For sure. Um, because just imagine, you know, and it's funny because people go, well, your job is watching horror movies. How cool is that? Yeah, it's cool <laughs> until you've watched, you know, 800, then it's not cool anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just jaded. And often I think, what is this doing to my psyche? <laughs> you know, watching <laughs> this much stuff. Uh, but then you have the, you know, the plan, the party, and the gajillion emails that you send out and respond to. It is a mass. And I try to keep everything very personal. You know, so people are like, well, why don't you ask someone to do all your email? No, because then it's not my personal touch. And I think that's part of what makes the festival what it is, because I'm involved in all of it. My fingers are in all of it. But it's, it, it's a lot of work. And it's a reflection of your taste as well. You know, right. how, how things run, how you program it, what days right. you put what movies on. All that's a reflection of your taste. Right. Right. Uh, so what's your favorite thing about running the festival? Meeting the people. Meeting the people. Uh-huh. I love to meet the people. I love our time at the festival and it seems to go by so fast. And I just enjoy the conversations. Most of the conversations, you know, sometimes it's those people that are like, <laughs> Can you can you tell me that you know all these things and it's like okay you need to write me about a month after the festival and I'll have time to talk to you about that. Let's just make everything light and happy and fun and enjoy each other right now. So so would you say that the the key for a lot of uh, artists to actually maybe conquer the festival, get into the festival, maybe win it, um, that the key is to make it as short. Or not short, but as intense and as as trim and and fat free as possible. Is that the key, or is there some other key that you like to tell people? You know, focus on this kind of story, or focus on that. What do you tend to tell people when they ask you how, what's the best way to get in? I think that watching a movie, if you have a good story, 
we can forgive not perfect cinematography, grainy. We can forgive that because we're involved in the story. Bad acting, we cannot forgive. Mm -hmm. Do not hire your friends unless they are actors or hold auditions. Make sure that they, that is, I cannot tell you how many projects. It's been like a great story. It's shot beautifully. The sound is great. The editing's great. And the acting sucks. It pulls you right out. You just can't. Or, or if the editing's bad and like you've got a, <laughs> a walking scene, okay? And it's yeah. a walking. And it's a walking. And we're walking. And we're still walking. Oh, now we're now in another, another block. And we're walking. And we're, cut that down. Like it's crazy. <laughs> or, or here's the knife. The camera's going to do a close up on the knife. Okay, we're not dumb. We see it's a knife. We know it's on the counter. And they'll just sit on it, show it from another angle. We know it's a knife. Cut it down. That's, that's the kind of thing that I just sit there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's all editorial. So, so in other words, you know, take a look at your movie and be honest about it. Right. Which is very difficult for people to do because they, yes. they the, the old cliche is you lose sight of the forest for the trees and they do. If you right. looked at cut after cut after cut after cut and you just right. don't know where, we don't know where else to cut. And then somebody else has to say, hey, you've still got 15 minutes you can cut out of this thing. And they right. go, oh, that's impossible. We can't. And then they take the 15 minutes out and you go, oh, this is a much better movie now. Yes. There's there's no question about it. Uh, what... um. Would you say that running a festival has helped you as an actress in any way? Oh, sure. Because, you know, you, I'm reading a ton of scripts and I'm watching a ton of movies. And yes, I think absolutely. Um, and, you know, and I, I hope I'm not coming across as bagging people, but nope. there's just sometimes it's just simple things that can fix your film. And people don't necessarily think of that. Like, there's times where I'll tape an audition and if I watch it several times, I start to go, Oh, I didn't even see that beat. And I would imagine that's how a filmmaker is. But if you're, if everything's too precious to you, you're not going to be able to get to that point. I think it's just a matter of doing it over and over again. And you get to the point where it's not going to bother me if I cut out 15 minutes, mm -hmm. it's still my project. And I, I'm not sure how to get people there quicker than just doing it. Like many things in life, uh, you know, filmmakers frequently finish a movie, think they've got everything, put the movie together and think, why didn't I shoot it this way or that way? Or why didn't I shoot more of this? Or why did I shoot all? Why did I spend all my time on this? So the after the after the fact thinking is often very difficult to overcome as an artist. Sure. Because now you can't go back. You can't get all those actors in nope. that location and nope. do it again. You have to shoot to cut. You yeah. have to shoot to cut. You got to know I'm going to want a close up here. I'm going to want this and I'm going to shoot it to how I'm going to cut it. Yeah, I think that's right. You have to know it. Well, that's planning just like you plan the festival. A really, I think really good filmmakers are good planners. Yes. And sometimes. Oh, I know. Work. People keep telling me I should direct. I don't want to direct. I directed in college. I was really good at it, but it's not me. You, you don't have any drive or ambition to direct. No, which is just the opposite of everyone else in Hollywood, Denise. <laughs> I know, right? I you know, know, everyone wants to direct. That's the old cliche. <laughs> I know. I've been speaking to Denise Gossett for almost an hour. This has just been so much fun to to hear your take on the world of filmmaking and acting, and and uh, and certainly festival um, management administration. And we're going to wind this thing down a little bit. And I'm just wondering, in all of your experiences, whether it's on set or whether it's at the festival. Are you able to share with us a story or two, if you have them, um, uh, that's either weird, quirky, strange, offbeat, or maybe just plain funny? Uh, well, when I shot Get the Gringo with Mel Gibson, we shot it in Mexico City. Okay. So, you know, I fly to Mexico City and no one speaks English. No one. So I am like reaching back to high school and college Spanish to try to get around. My driver picks me up. No English. So I'm trying to have conversations with this guy with high school and college Spanish. And I will say I did really pretty good. But then then you get to set. 
your makeup and hair people don't speak English. <laughs> so you're just kind of sitting there going, oh my gosh. And the first day on set or first day in the makeup chair, I'm kind of, we're laughing. I'm kind of able to say a few things. You know, you point, you do dumb things trying to make commu communicate. In walks Mel with no shirt on, goes right to the sink and starts kind of cleaning his face. He's going to shave. And I'm just kind of like, like it threw me so, so much. I'm like, that, that's Mel Gibson right there. And what, what? And then he turns around, and introduces himself. It was all good. Um, but then on set, camera guy, no one speaks English except for the director and Mal, of course, the actors. You hear cortamos instead of cut. And I'm just kind of like, <laughs> and then my scenes, there was a lot of clothing changes and stuff too, because there's an explosion and I get wet every take. So here I've got these people that do not speak any English and they're trying to give me my clothes and get me changed. And like, it was just funny. One of the best experiences of my life, but it was funny. And then at night, so I worked with Bob Gunton and Scott Cohen and Peter Stormare. And you would recognize all of these guys. They've done tons of stuff, right? Sure, sure. So I'm going to the bar in the hotel with, Peter Stormare, Scott Cohen. And you can tell that the bartender is recognizing these guys and kind of looking at me like, who are you that you are hanging out with these guys? <laughs> it was the coolest. Well, then one night we're just sitting there gabbing and stuff. Well, it, Mel, poor Mel, he would eat in the hotel restaurant at 10 p.m. Because even though we're in Mexico, he's still an icon and he's getting you know bombarded. He comes in one night to the bar and he says good night to us all and everything. He didn't drink or anything, but you should see the bartender's face that night. Like, <laughs> who is she that she knows all these people? It was really, really cool. <laughs> was he was he relatively easy to work with? He's awesome. Mm -hmm. He's like a jokester, jokes around a lot. He was not directing this movie. He was uh, he wrote it, starred in it, and he was letting his friend Adrian Grunberg have his base directorial debut there were there was one time he's over there talking to adrian we had shot one take of the scene and i see him looking over at me and i'm like oh gosh because i had just done my scene like what are they saying and he, he's like well, he goes well let's ask her denise come here and i go over i'm thinking oh crap now what and he goes <laughs> how do you think you should do this scene and i said well and in my head, I'm going, if I say what I think, I'm going against the director. But if I don't say what I think, it's going to be crap. Because there was an explosion and I just, he, the director wanted me to just run into the room. And so I said, I don't think she would just run into the room. And Mel goes, okay, what do you think she would do? I said, I think she, there was an explosion. I think she'd be very hesitant to walk into the room. And he goes, let's do it. And we did it. And that's what it was. And he loved it. And then he, after takes, he'd come over and he goes, let's try this. And so my, my second seed, he ended up making it so funny because he kept adding things like he, he, at the premiere, he told me that was still his favorite scene of the entire movie. Like wow. he was just sweet. Nice. Yeah. All right. So last question for you today, Denise. So that's, that was a lot of fun to hear. Um, <laughs> Do you have, you've already given us an enormous amount of advice, but do you have a single solid piece of advice that you like to give to people who are maybe just starting out in the business, or maybe they're in a little bit and trying to get to that next level? Yes. If there is something you want to do in this world, don't let anyone stop you. You have to keep pushing forward. I don't care if it's, you, you have three kids and you work full time. If you want to write or you want to act or direct or whatever it may be, you find the time. Um, commitment is when we make time for something. You know, everyone says, oh, well, I have this dream of doing this. And then they do nothing about it. You, you cannot be that way. I don't care if you have five minutes a day. That's all you can fit in because you got 13 kids and a full time job and everything else. Five minutes. Sit down and write your script. Five minutes, practice acting. At the end of the year, you're going to have a script. It may not be great, but you're going to have a script. It's better than not having a script. 
So my advice is to just go for what you want. Don't let anything hold you back. I'm so tired of hearing, well, you know, I would be doing that, but, you know, I have to work these two jobs. Okay, you get a lunch break, right? Take five minutes out of your lunch break and write or go go do a monologue in the bathroom. You know, whatever it is you have to do, just do it. I think that's that's extraordinarily valuable advice because there's no question you don't get anywhere by not doing it. So you have to do it. You've got to find the time. And it is one of these businesses where you have to prove yourself in some way. It's not, you can't just go apply for the job and they'll look at your resume and take you. You have to actually work at it. You have to do it. So I think that that's really terrific advice. Denise Gossett, this has been a fun hour on Story Me today. Yes, it has. And I'm so <laughs> delighted that you spent a little time with me t- today and and given all this wonderful advice to folks who want to be um, festival mavens themselves. <laughs> well, thank you, Steve, for having me. This has been delightful. It's been so great to catch up with you, too. And so we've come to the end of today's Story Beat. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating or review on whatever app or platform you're listening to. Your support helps us bring more great Story Beat episodes to you. Until next time, I'm Steve Cuden, and may all your stories be unforgettable.